Welcome to the Letterboxd Show. I'm Mia Vicino. And I'm Brian Formo. And though you only hear us together on Best in Show, this is not that. No, no, no. This is a very, very special episode of the Letterboxd Show. So Magic Hour, if you're not familiar, is the format where we get two very cool filmmakers together. Someone who's been in the business for a while, a veteran, if you will, and a fresh new voice. We step out of the way and have them interview each other. So Mia, set the scene, will ya? My pleasure. We just got the trailer for Emma Seligman's new comedy, Bottoms, starring Rachel Sennett and Ayo Edebery as two uncool queer high schoolers who start a self-defense class to try to pick up girls. I was lucky enough to see a sneak preview of the Red Band trailer at a special screening of But I'm a Cheerleader at Alamo Draft House. And, you know, the audience was laugh, laugh, laughing. This looks like a hit. If you haven't seen it, the link for the trailer is in our episode notes. I got to see Bottoms for this <gasps> podcast recording, uh, but uh, it is so much fun. It's a very, very specific blend of comedy that's kind of over the top mixed with some grounded elements that reminded me a lot of the cult TV series Strangers with Candy, which I love. So uh, yeah, we are very, 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 very hyped about this movie on Letterboxd, and so are Letterboxd members. So obviously, Emma Seligman, who also directed Shiva Baby, is one of our guests. The other half is multi-hyphenate Zoe Lister-Jones. Okay, Zoe, are you ready? She is an actor, director, writer, TV show creator. She does it all, folks. So if you saw Ari Aster's Bo is Afraid, she plays Joaquin Phoenix's mother in the flashbacks. She has a pivotal monologue. If you haven't seen it, we're not spoiling anything about any of these movies. No spoilers whatsoever. They talk about themes and intent, but no spoilers. Though it debuted at South by Southwest, Bottoms does not hit theaters until August 25th. That's right. And uh, Bo's Afraid is available. It just hit VOD today, actually. Uh, but that's not all that Zoe was with us to promote. Uh, part of that multi-hyphenate includes TV show creator. Well, Zoe wrote, acted, and directed every episode of the Roku channel's Slip, which is the first time that a, a woman has done every one of those jobs for a TV show, uh, which is a show that she created. Slip is about a woman who discovers that she can transport through the multiverse. It's another multiverse, but this is through an orgasm. What? Yeah, so the, the whole series is available right now on Roku Channel for free, Mia. We love free stuff. We love women achieving climax. <laughs> yes, uh, it's a very bingeable show and Zoe's great in it and she's great and Bo is afraid. All right, you're going to be free of us in just a second. But we also want to put up top that Zoe talks a lot about her first feature that she directed, Band-Aid, which I highly recommend. It's about a couple who, instead of getting into the same old argument, they go to the garage, pick up the instruments, and shout out their grievances via punk songs. We're both, we have punk roots, Mia. Hell yeah, we do. And we both seen Band-Aid and love it. Yeah. Again, we love when women achieve orgasm and when they start punk bands. <laughs> so with that, let's give the floor to two do-it-yourself filmmakers. Hi, I'm Zoe Lister-Jones. I am a filmmaker, uh, most recently acted in the film Bo's Afraid and created uh, the Roku original series Slip, which uh, you can watch all of now at therokuchannel.com. Uh, hi, my name is Emma Seligman. I am also a filmmaker um, and I most 
recently directed a movie called Bottoms that will come out later this summer. Yay. I was also <laughs> going to add, you Hello. created, wrote, directed, acted in every episode of Slept. <laughs> <laughs> to clarify for, for anyone who doesn't know. Thank you, Emma. Which is so like wildly impressive. Um, uh, I guess I wanted, I don't know if you want to talk first, but I wanted to like ask you like h- how, how you were able to do that, like on top of just directing, like which is just such a tiring experience in and of itself. No, it's a, it's a great question. And I'm like, just want to say I'm so excited to be talking to you. And it's like, I'm nervous because I'm such a fan of yours and Letterboxd asked, like who I would want to be in conversation with as a filmmaker. I, I was just like, Emma, <laughs> even though I've never um, met you. Um, <laughs> but just because, um, yeah, I'm so deeply impressed by your filmography. And Shiva Baby was one of those movies that I like saw and was like mad that I didn't make. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, I have so many questions for you, but I'll, I'll start by uh, uh, answering yours. I, you know, like I think, I started making um, films like as a writer, producer, actor um, with my ex-husband. And so that was sort of like boot camp that allowed for me to really like learn how a few of those roles could be like executed simultaneously. And then it took me a while to really, I guess, gain the confidence to believe that I could also direct, which is partially... uh, like why I look at someone like you, you know, with such awe and admiration (laughs) um, who really like had that confidence so young and that the singularity of your voice was so, was so clear in like such a ambitious and incredible first feature um, and now amazing second feature. But yeah, it took me a while. I I made a film called Band-Aid that I wrote, directed and starred in. And that was really the first time that I put into practice those three things, which was my first feature as a director, which was also like sociopathic to, to try to do all of that. Um, because it, you know, um, it is, it's overwhelming. It's like an overwhelming amount of responsibility. But I do think that those three things in particular are like so exciting to do at once. It's like an extreme sport as a person who's never played a sport. <laughs> um, it's what I imagined an extreme sport to be like, just like the adrenaline and the immediacy of like directing from within the belly of the beast and and not having any of the filters that one might have just doing one of those roles of being like once removed or twice removed. This is like, <laughs> there's no removal <laughs> um, and there's nowhere to hide. And like, yeah, I think that level of exposure as a person who is pretty fearful by nature is like something that I guess I like to push myself to do and and I think they all are like very holistic to to have those three things in conversation feels weirdly organic it's actually like weirder for me to do just one of them <laughs> yeah i was going to ask like well that's first of all that's so kind of you to, to say what yeah. you said up top and that means Aww. so much to me cuz i'm such a huge fan of yours ever since lola versus and i love like your work so much um but do you find it easier to approach directing from the place of acting is that your first sort of way into understanding um how to tell a story or, or how to sort of capture realism in the moment, especially because so much of your your work is is so grounded and truthful and like 
I feel like is telling stories of everyday life that I can feel and see all around me. And I mean, it's so cool to see you act in something as like wild and crazy as Bo is afraid. And then also see your work, which is like so Mm -hmm. grounded, even though slip like plays with reality in in such a fun way. But, you know, yeah. Is it easier for you to sort of access directing from a place of like, I understand how to be in the scene and now I just need to sort of like craft it around that? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, One of the cool things about like, directing a scene that I'm acting in is that I I have access to so many tools that I wouldn't otherwise if I weren't also performing. And that one of my favorite things about that is like molding my actor's performance through my own performance. Um, Cause it's like a, it's a sneaky little trick, <laughs> mm. um, but it's, it's really like fun. Yeah. I think it allows for both me and my scene partner to be in the moment in a way that, is is always the sort of holy grail as an actor is to be is is to find that sense of sort of immediacy because I as an actor can throw things at my scene partner that might you know shift something or even knock them a little off <laughs> balance you know um, then then something can be like cracked open I think similarly to your style which I have lots of questions about like trying to create create grounded worlds and and performances within those worlds is always like a director's biggest challenge and i think that that is something that um yeah as an actor i like to sort of i guess shape also like um and that they do they do sort of go hand in hand but i think also um i don't know if wait have you acted you know what i haven't except i just did my friends like short film recently and i was like i I and I was kind of helping them direct it because they both acted yeah. and directed it in it as well. I was sort of like a backseat director for for their request. Um, and I found it really hard to both be in the moment and remain objective. Um, and I think just because I I acted as like a kid and did theater, but I I've never directed myself in anything. So that's why I'm so curious when I see actors approach directing because I'm like is is this sort of their way and you know because I feel like directing has so many facets so some people come from cinematography or some people start off as a writer or some people start off um I don't know doing production design and so they're able to sort of ground themselves in one element and then like go off from there but I found it um challenging to you know because sometimes you're in the moment and you're like that felt really good and then the director is like that was off or sometimes you're like <laughs> i that's felt awful and everyone was like we found it and so i just like always find i'm in awe of people who who direct themselves because i you know i i feel like you're i mean you must be doing it in your own way but people who can do it well um you know uh i just find really impressive so but what you're saying about sort of finding the truth while you're in it and playing with your scene partner being deep in it sounds so cool and personal because I feel like sometimes when you're directing a scene and you're not acting in it the actors can feel like uh, I don't know there was something missing there and you're like oh like yeah. you know you're like I wasn't in the moment with you guys like actually yeah so totally and I'm a one one layer removed you know I've directed things that I haven't acted in and, and I've found that you know that part challenging also I think there is something about like um it's such a vulnerable thing to be on camera. And I think to put that question of like, what I thought we got it, but we didn't, or 
I don't feel good, but you do, that disconnect between performer and director is always an interesting one. There is kind of more implicit trust <laughs> when when your director is is right there with you and can be like, no, I was looking, I was, I was a foot mm-hmm. away from your face. <laughs> we don't got it. No, or whatever. <laughs> oh, or we do have it and you can trust me, you know, or any of those things. But it is, I think the um, wildness of that experience is contagious. And I think that it does sort of set a tone for the other actor in the scene to be like, uh, we're both going on a pretty crazy ride right now. Mm-hmm. And to me, I, th- I, I think that is, something I want to talk to you about because I know you have such a close relationship with with Rachel and and you know you you use sort of the same players sometimes and and what that relationship is in terms of of creating those stories and and um and sort of world building with your actors like every story I think I continue to try within you know just both those projects and I hope going forward to come back to whatever my goal is of whatever I'm trying to say or whatever I'm trying to create and have everything build off of that in in every department I think that no matter what you're doing it starts from like the truthfulness um you know uh, between the actors and then into the edit, like tracking the story that your your characters have. I think it's, I found it much harder to do actually in Bottoms because it's such a crazy comedy, but it's so important. I think the best comedies, like when you really look deep within, have a really important story or really a story with, you know, solid character development underneath all of, you know, the improv or, or whatever it is. I think that like when I got into the edit on bottoms, like for example, like I, my editor had created a really wonderful, lovely, funny cut, but I felt like I kind of had to deconstruct it with her to make sure I understood the character's motivations in each scene and the story. And for a second, we were like, this is getting not funny. Like you're choosing all these like random looks between people. So I just wanted it to be clear to myself because sometimes, like as you know, you have to re you have to redirect those things when you're in the edit, it becomes its own movie or its own episode or show. Like, and it, it takes on a life of its own and you have to find whatever that cocktail is in terms of my approach. Like I, I just try to keep going back to that North star of what it is. What am I trying to do here? And with Shiva it was like, Oh my God, I almost forget. Cause I feel like I processed <laughs> it and blacked it out, but it was something like creating a story for young women that like for them, for women, young women to feel seen in their search for validation in sex or something like that. And then for Bottoms, I just wanted to create like a, a gay teen movie I could have seen in high school. Create a movie I could have seen in high school in general. Um, and so I just like kept going back to like, what can I relate to within this? And and how can I show that? And what's um, your what's your your casting process like? Because you had a previous... Like, did you and Rachel go to school together? Or what? what was the beginning of that? that collaboration we did go to we both went to nyu um but i didn't meet her until she like auditioned for the the short film that she baby's based on which i made in school <laughs> and uh we took ourselves so seriously but she like auditioned for my short in like a dorm basement um what dorm shout it out um it was second street or third street, something like that. It wasn't my dorm. It was like had third a, north. Wasn't third north. It was like I want to say second Ave. God, um, it was a dorm that I like didn't know really existed. And then they had a basement. People rented out for like interesting like, okay. auditions and stuff. <laughs> um, so 
we were there. I was there with my casting director. Um, oh my I was like God. 21. Um, <laughs> she was so silly. <laughs> um, but I mean, she was just so good in the audition. And then I got to know her and I was like, oh my God, she's mm. so ambitious. Like this girl like really <laughs> means business. Like she really wants to tell, really wants to make stuff and it means it. And, and it's, you know, as I'm sure, you know, you've found like, it's rare to, to find someone who's actually like committed to, to, yeah. to setting goals and, and meeting them. Um, and it, you know, it can be so hard to be self-motivated. So, you know, that was the beginning of our collaboration and she's so funny and she's a stand-up comic so then we just started writing bottoms together we kind of like figured it out over a whiteboard of like what kind of story do we want to tell but the cast of bottoms is so amazing yeah i'm friends with io i want to say thank you but (laughs) but they're not there but i can't take credit for them you absolutely um, yeah they're they're amazing. <laughs> uh, but uh, you're friends with I'm Io. friends with Io, and, and I and uh, Nick Galatine was in uh, the Craft uh, Legacy, which, <laughs> um, yeah, and he's like you know a dreamboat and very funny, and um, and I really like I loved the way that you portrayed the jocks. Like, I mean, I loved the way that you subverted so many tropes in Bottoms, but um directorially i was really interested in that in the in that choice especially with the way that you constructed those meatheads <laughs> to be sort of so beta as they were as they were trying to be alpha <laughs> initially when when we were creating the characters we were just like let's just make fun of like football towns and toxic masculinity and mm-hmm. and how like these guys can get away with anything um but I think once we cast Nick and Miles and, and you know, these other football characters, we just found the funniest versions of their performances were when, especially for, for Nick in particular, was when he was, I think I, it felt a little reductive, but when I was like, act like a four-year-old or yeah. act like um, a monkey. Um, yeah. And I think he, like, he just really like when Jeff couldn't get what he wanted, you know, he became upset. And, um, I, yeah, I just, I think we just really had fun in, in sort of directing the performances and, and making them really dramatic and, and Rachel's so funny. So things like when they were like jumping off the cars to like get to him, you know, were just like little details that we thought would be fun to do. Um, and then I think that when we were done it, some people remarked like, you know, that they're so what you, you know, their beta or they're like, you know, we're flipping everything on its head. And I, I think we just wanted to make them dramatic and that anytime they didn't get what they wanted, you know what I mean? They, they were, they were pouty or tantrum tantrum and then they get what they want. Um, and so I guess we just like pushed that hard. Um, and you know, uh, Nick was so game for like playing such a ridiculous character and, uh, uh, yeah, and and to honestly be in the backseat of this mostly female focused story, you know, um, yeah. they understood the role they were playing in this world, um, and that took some humility for sure. Um, yeah, it was just fun to 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 sort of direct something so stupid with them. I think everyone else, <laughs> you know, like I think they understood the backbone of their characters. You know what I mean? Like their goals were really uh, clear. And versus some of the girls in their characters, like it's sort of they're on this journey of of finding their their confidence and their popularity. And so you have to track that a little bit more and and sort of find the ebb and flow of how they're feeling within the scenes. But for for Nick and Miles, it was like pretty clear. And so we could just like totally go wild with their their performances. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the question I have for you because especially when you're making like a high school film, which is such a specific genre, like you you are playing with these tropes um, and these sort of archetypes that then you're you're flipping on their heads in many ways. But I am interested in in directorially, like how you are modulating tone in terms of performance when it comes to care, like actors playing these archetypes and and how you wanted them, like how um, do you as a director sort of like like to just get a lot of different versions in terms of how broad your strokes are in performance so that you can play in the edit or are you pretty clear on on tone um, on the day? I think tone is the hardest thing, no matter what you're doing. Like I, I find that it's so hard from the de- the development of the characters up until the edit, you know, up until the music, like up until the last final stages. It's, um, I, I think it's it's never there's never a point where I'm like we we got it, we got the tone. Um, and yeah. I think that showing different cuts of the edit help with that because often there's, you know, whether you're showing it to friends or there's like official test screenings, like people are like. I didn't get the tone. It's kind of campy, but it's kind of grounded. Um, so I think it's a journey. Like I, th- I definitely like to get different performances, but I think that like it became clear as we were doing it. Like I definitely felt like Rachel and I felt like, you know, in terms of the casting process, we wanted to pick actors that were super grounded in their characters that were like, I'm committed to my character's goal within this crazy, ridiculous world. Even though my character's saying and doing crazy things, like I'm, I, I, by them, I believe them, I root for them. And that to me is when we got the funniest performances. But definitely I feel like when we were doing it, we found like, okay, Io and Rachel definitely, especially Io's character, are really more like the straight men, quote unquote. Um and everyone else, like, you know, like Havana and Kaya um would have questions like, should I play it bigger? Should I be broader? And and I would just try to like you know, I think the instinct was to always just like be as committed, just be as grounded and believe your character as much as you can. Um, be, because everyone was aware of the, the world and the, you know, the tone being so crazy. But I was like, try to just sort of stay dropped in. And usually that was right. But then sometimes, you know, it is it is a dance. Um, it, definitely. I wanted to to ask you about tone and themes. Like, I'd never seen something so like a, a story about depression and existentialism that was so specifically female um, and revolving around this concept of self-love and having this character try to find acceptance or self-love or her perfect sort of like, um, you know, self-cared like <laughs> life to these worlds, which I, I think I, I feel like at least in my life and in my friend's life is like a really dangerous concept to be thrown around is, is like putting us on this sort of endless journey of of trying to find self-love, which like I love when the other character, when the friend character says to her, like, what kind of crazy person or kind of psycho like loves themselves. <laughs> um and I just I guess I just wanted to ask, like there's it's really hard to tell a story about existentialism and depression in a way that's not bumming out your audience and not um being preachy. And obviously Bo is afraid is very nihilistic and existential. <laughs> yeah. and all- how how can you sort of funnel your experiences or feelings around these these themes and topics in terms of how you relate to it in your own life into something? Are you consciously like, how do I make this funny and make sure that it isn't like, you know, sad and 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 depressing? And or how do I make this inventive and new? And then also like, do you you know when you're acting in something that has 
similar themes to the the stories you're directing? Do they influence you or, you know, do they make you see where yours stands in the world of sort of uh, nihilistic <laughs> existential? <laughs> um, I'm going to do the distinctly um, like female filmmaker thing. I'm just being like, thank you so much. <laughs> I don't know how not to do that. It, it's so nice. You know, maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe, maybe, maybe we should. It's okay to just say thank you all the time, and and we can normalize it. <laughs> My therapist and I have more than one. Um, I'll say that uh, an antidote to my depression is is a, a gratitude practice. So, um, so here we go. Thank you so much. I'm grateful for you, <laughs> and um, and for all of your kind words. And I do think it is important because it's like, a, it's rare that we get to have these kinds of conversations in such depth with like fellow filmmakers and especially fellow filmmakers whose work we so admire. And I think, um, you know, I, I see so many similarities, um, between our work and the, and the sort of worlds that we're looking to build. And, um, so it does mean a lot. Uh, and then I will answer your question. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess I always make the things that I'm like wanting to see and, um, and the things that I'm wanting to see are, I think, probably existentialist at their mm-hmm. core and sort of asking larger and harder questions that I don't know how to answer. I, I think that is what I try to do as a filmmaker is just like try to answer them for myself because I don't clearly all the therapy isn't working. <laughs> but um, every film or, or series that I like go to make, um, I'm like looking for a new way in to a sort of age-old question and and sort of looking how how i can find the most singular route um towards like a a sort of universal (laughs) query (laughs) like um which which is something that i so admire about your work you know like that that you're also exploring these like really important and big themes in in such like specific containers and that's what i always want to be watching um so yeah i i think and i think with acting like bo's afraid is uh <laughs> yeah it's, it's you're so good in it like you're just so so terrible. <laughs> you're, you're doing like a young patty without it being a caricature either like it's like so grounded and truthful and yet you're like this is the same person younger <laughs> oh man Thank you. I mean, listen, it's like a really tall order to to have to play yeah. Patty Lupone and also such a like gift to to as my job have to study <laughs> all yeah. of Patty's um you know intricacies. But um I think that is a testament to Ari Astor as a director. And it was really cool to study him. Like mm-hmm. because I made Bo is Afraid before Slip. Um and so I was definitely watching Ari through a pretty specific lens of just like, how does he master tone? Because he, he is, you know, really navigating such wild swings. And I think also how he navigates performance, because it's sort of what we were talking about with bottoms. But like when you're when you are taking such big swings tonally, it is really only in performance that you're going to ground the audience into emotional arcs and, and um, 
So I think I just took that really seriously. And, and Ari was helpful in making sure because like that character could have been quite arch, you know, like, and, and quite mm-hmm. villainous um, yeah. at, at her surface. And I think anytime I leaned into that, Ari would always shift me back and to, fi- to find her humanity. And that was such an interesting lesson because like, obviously once Hattie is revealed, um, you know, she, she gets to sort of have the big fun villainous yeah. <laughs> um, third act. But, but for me, it's like, I think it was much more about, um, yeah, walking a narrower line mm-hmm. where, where we didn't know how to feel about her. Um, I, I had a, a question for you about your cinematographer and how you sort of like what the conversations were going from a film like Shiva Baby to a film like Bottoms because they're stylistically quite different. Um, and, and also sort of in a larger context, like going from making something indie and, and small and that's very much yours to something that's at a larger scale and, and within a studio system, like what those conversations were like and, and what pressures you felt in, in taking that step. Cause a second feature is always so scary. At least it was for me. Um, yeah. Especially when your first feature is opening a lot of doors, like how to both like, I guess, meet the expectation of leveling up while still staying of authentic to your roots yeah those are such good questions and i like have i i will i already know how i'm going to segue because i have the same (laughs) um no i mean i i love uh, you know i think that like you know finding you know you you know this probably like you know you find the dp you love the most and you want to like spend your time with as a person um because it is such a marriage and and then go from there. Like I think that it's wonderful to to know that your DP has done something in the style that you want to do. But I think it's if not more important to know that they can pivot and that they can take your vision and and make the best version of it with their ideas they bring to the table. And I have nothing but just I could talk about my DP Maria Rushi like for hours on end. Like I I I she's just a funny, wonderful person to work with, but also like is willing to put in so much time to understand my intent, like on a story level and um, tonal level. And, and, you know, there's so much more behind the, the words, you know, that, that you're going for that isn't always obvious to, to your department heads. I mean, you know, you have to communicate that. So honestly, like I think the thread between Shiva and Bottoms was just watching a ton of references with her and sharing references that I had and then her taking that and downloading that in her brain and then her sharing references with me. To be quite honest, like there were there were some folks at the studio that were a little hesitant about bringing Maria on because she didn't have the experience of doing a big studio movie. She'd definitely been on set a million times, you know, working within camera and, and, and lighting. But, um, you know, they ended up being like, wow, we, we really, you know, they ended up saying yes, first of all, and letting, letting me make the decision, which was wonderful. Um, but then second to that, they ended up saying like, we, we were wrong and, and, you know, 
we we were so amazed by Maria and and it was a wonderful sort of full circle moment. Um, but I was getting anxious because I was like, if I don't have her, I don't yeah. know what I'm able to do. And I know she can do this. Um, yeah. Uh, and it was pretty impressive to watch like this young woman run a crew of a hundred or so people, you know, with such grace um, and 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 just confidence. Um, and it, it, to answer your second question in combination with that, like I, I found it incredibly hard to, to make the jump. I'm very grateful for the opportunity um, to like Orion and, and MGM for like believing in me. But um, emotionally and like physically, like more than anything, I, I, I found it challenging. I think the best thing you can do is just prep, prep, prep. That for me, like, you know, just shot listing as much as possible with Maria, like really grounded me in understanding what we were doing. Um, and what we needed to achieve that day. But I found it quite hard. <laughs> and her and I had to choreograph the fighting together. And I'd never done dance or anything before. I was quite shocked by just like how how much of a big step it would be. Um, I knew it was going to be a big step, but I was like, it was it was just real. It was really tough <laughs> to, yeah. to be honest. And I think that, as I'm sure it was for you, and, and I, I I think that it grounded me whenever I talked to um, a mentor of mine who was like, yeah, that makes sense that it's hard right now and that you're freaking out a little bit. Um, and I, I guess I kind of throw that question back to you because I don't really have many, I, I was realizing as I was listening to my mentors, they were all like, fuck that. Like, you know, like you're the director, like hire them or like whatever it was. And I was like, yeah. all men. I was like, hey. <laughs> realizing all my directing mentors are men and which is not mm. to say that every now and then a little dose of that is helpful because you're like right boss. but that blind confidence exactly of like <laughs> yeah. leader here um yeah but i i guess i kind of throw a, a two two-hander back to you in that you know what was it like making the jump for you from band-aid to craft and like how do you weather the storm like i just find that like not enough I don't think people talk about how hard directing is because, you know, you don't want to make it sound like the production was hard. You know what I mean? Or like there was, there was stuff that went down. There was drama. It's just a hard job. And so I, 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 I wonder if that's also because traditionally it's been a male job that people don't talk about, like how emotionally and physically taxing it is, especially when it um, and so I guess I'm always curious to know, maybe this isn't like the sexiest question, but like, how do you take in the, in this question, even though know, we're bringing back to self love, self care, even though that's a dangerous idea, like I mentioned before. But um, how do you how did you make that jump, and and how do you stay afloat and take care of yourself, or or, or do you not, <laughs> and just sort of roll? Well, with Band Aid, I hired all women as my crew. There wasn't a single man on set outside of the actors. And I think I did that because I had witnessed some of the double standards that women behind the camera experienced and also just the profound inequity of women, especially below the line. And it's such a supreme lack of representation, I think precisely because of what you're saying, because if someone doesn't have the experience, they'll never be given the experience. And that's why the system is so professionally broken. And, and when you hear those stories of someone like you fighting for, you know, uh, a female DP who um, is getting pushed back to say, I know they can do it. Like it, it is those people like yourself who 
are suddenly in the position of, of, of being able to shift hiring practices, but, but it does really take a strong will. Um, especially when you're, you yourself are, are just gaining experience, you know, to, to, to say, well, you have to trust me. It's like, but you're a first time studio filmmaker. So, um, so it, it takes like, (laughs) I think on banding, it was interesting because even my female department heads were pretty apprehensive. Some of them to hire women, um, in their departments, just because like, they had working relationships with men that were going to make them feel safer and were going to make their work shine. And at the end of the day, all of the fear that serves as like a barrier to entry, I think for women, especially um, below the line, is really just about people wanting to do their best work. Like, I, I don't think it's malicious, you know, in, intentionally, but I think that that's like sort of where we have to like, trip the wires because because i think that when people who don't have the same amount of experience um on their resume are given opportunities they're so much hungrier and um and and i think that level of mentorship it was really interesting on band-aid to see because because we shot it in 12 days you know the stakes were very high like that is not a that's not a time frame for mentorship in most people's <laughs> minds, yeah. but it was, but it totally worked. And that was such a like revelation to be like, yeah, like people can learn very quickly on a job. And, um, and especially with, with the right mentors and department heads who are, you know, just throwing them like, like being thrown into this sort of <laughs> lion's den, so to speak like does create this incredible energy on a set. Um, and, and it is such a testament to like not looking at those hires as risks, but as like opportunities to find great new artists, which is like what you did, you know, when, when you brought your DP into bottoms and now that she has that on her resume, she now is going to have 1,000 more doors open. I, I had a similar experience, actually, when I brought my DP from Band-Aid onto this ABC pilot because I got so much pushback. She had never directed a pilot. I mean, DP'd a pilot before, um, and I had never directed one. So I, again, was not really in the position to be, like, you know, swinging my dick around. And um, But I did. I swung that dick. <laughs> swung until <laughs> knocked a couple people right over, and I got her on the on the team. Yeah, it it is such an interesting lesson that I think is still not put into practice nearly enough. I think there's so much dialogue around equity and hiring practices, but that we're we're still up against a lot of the same barriers because I think everyone is just wanting to do such a good job. <laughs> and yeah. I think it is like let's look at what at, at how much better that job could be if more people could come and be you know, admitted into, into these worlds. Totally. I mean, you mentioned this earlier, but it is that thing of, if you don't get the opportunity, when are you going to get the opportunity to, to make the next? I think that sometimes people feel like, well, and, and not even on, on a studio level, but, but everyone and directors, et cetera, like, it's like, well, I made it here and I'm a young woman. So that's, that's enough, you know, that's, that's enough change, you know, like that's, that's, we're good you know, but it's actually, it's actually, I feel like in these moments where you need to be like, 
haha, I, I'm here and therefore I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> as on as I can um, or whatever, whoever it is yeah. that you want. Even just seeing the difference there when I tried to bring those hiring practices um, into that next project, it became like um, a question for HR, you know, because then mm-hmm. suddenly I was not letting men in to, <laughs> you know, in, in a way that then I was being questioned in terms of, in terms of those practices. And, and so I think once, it just in, just when it came to like those next opportunities where I was being given opportunities to work within the studio system, I was just faced with a whole other, you know, skew of of challenges just in that department. And then there are a thousand other departments that you're that you're then yeah. faced with challenges. But it's hard how much to say in these conversations. Uh, but it was it was extremely challenging to go from um, having so much um, agency to having so little as a filmmaker. And, um, and I think, especially because I was, I think you, you were also shifting genres, but I think got to stay yeah. a little bit more true to your core and, and take some more risks. Like, I, I did such a pivot in genre and in a genre I had never worked in before. And like you, I had never done stunts. I had never done VFX. Like I had never done any of these things that were being asked of me, which in many ways it's cool, right. To be given those opportunities, but it's so uh, overwhelming. I think, especially as women to yes. be given those opportunities and to go, I, I really better not fuck this up because then, then I'm just going to play into every uh, terrible stereotype that keeps us, um, from getting a seat at these tables. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, and then I'm going to fuck it up for all of us, you know, if I can't. <laughs> yeah, uh, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing this animated uh, movie. I'm like a voice animated movie that Ron Howard is directing. And I was asking him because he was talking about that he's had Final Cut, um, <laughs> like forever. And oh, wow. that, <laughs> and, and that like, now he gets that he gets more notes now i'm speaking out of school but it was something like he gets more notes now even with final cut than he did back in the day when he didn't have final cut when he was a younger filmmaker and i thought that was so interesting yeah and i was just asking him like how to navigate that i think that's like the question that i always ask when filmmakers are leveling up into this different this this system um, where decisions are being made so much more by committee and and are so often fear based, <laughs> uh, fear based with commerce in mind, which is sort of anathema to art making, but is our job to always be like <laughs> straddling those two worlds of art and commerce. That like how to trust your gut when you're being given notes? Because I think especially as women, we are conditioned to be such team players and want to please and question, you know, gut instincts, you know, by those who might have more experience. And I think I really learned from the craft to not do that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, so so like, and it doesn't mean to not take notes seriously. Like I, I'm, I love feedback and I think like friends and family screenings are my favorite version of that because 
it's not the sort of like uh, harrowing, uh, like test screening audience that then is like, you know, crunching numbers. It's like people who you respect and trust and you can like digest notes or thoughts that might be hard to swallow, but also see if they come up with a number of different people or a number of different screenings. Like, okay, this is something I really need to look at, even though it's my favorite scene or whatever that is. Like, um, and I, I'm, I, I'm a huge advocate of that as a filmmaker, but I think it's also important to really listen when you have, when there's something in you that's just saying like, that is not the movie or that is not the show. And I really need to stick to my gut and to my vision in pushing back on that. And it's that line that I was sort of asking Ron Howard about like, how do you navigate that, you know, yeah. when you're playing the big leagues? Yeah, because it's not necessarily good to be like, fuck all that. You know what I mean? Like what we think maybe would be the worst sort of version of a man's response of right. like, <laughs> let's stop t- testing me, you know, like it's, it is good to listen and, and, and receive feedback. Um, and, and I feel lucky that I feel like at least with, with bottoms, like I was working with Orion, which is all young women and, and a group of, of young queer, diverse women. And, and there, I, I did trust their notes, but I was just so not used to so many cooks in the kitchen right. that I was like, wait, what, what even is the director's cut versus like, <laughs> right. why, why can't I have, why can't I, like, I just be working on this on my own for, for, for longer, um, you know, but it's, there's more money on the line and there's a system and, and, and it's every time I just, you, you, you have to try to like remind yourself that it's not your money. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like, <laughs> opportunity. Um, but it's just, it's just such a jump. I remember like hearing Chris, Christopher Nolan say something about like how his first movie was like, his mom was like making sandwiches, like, like it was like so, oh so Indian small. And then he made Memento for like $4 million or something. And he, he said something like, I'll never make a bigger jump. Like I'll never have a bigger <laughs> oh my you know, jump in my life. And, and that, how, that made me feel like hopeful. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. okay, maybe just the indie to the studio jump. That's the hardest. And I even little things where I was like, "What's a playback guy like?" We, you know, right, I mean? right, 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 totally. That's such a like, you know, it's like a union rule to have someone specifically for playback, and you can't just do it in on the on the camera or, or with your DP or whatever it is. And I, so I was just like constantly also like learning things and being like, "Why? What's that going on over there?" You know, or like, "What is base cam?" <laughs> I was, I'm sure, <laughs> like band aid. I mean, I know that you acted in a million things before, yeah. but I was like, why are my actors just here in front of me? Like, where yeah. are they? <laughs> yeah, you know, totally. It is such a good, it's, it's such a good lesson, I think, though, for especially young women filmmakers or, or aspiring filmmakers, because I feel like a big part of why it took me so long to believe I could direct was because I didn't think I knew enough. Um, and I think that is sort of, distinctly female um like to want to just be perfect and especially in industries where um there is a lack of representation to think like well i have to have every answer if i'm asked or else you know i'll be like a a laughing stock but b like people will just believe that i am the imposter that i might believe myself to be already and i think it is like so important to hear these stories of like I didn't know a lot of things and I learned them on the job. And that is 100% what everybody is doing at every level. Like 
I'm sure as Chris Nolan is is elevating like to, you know, from 4 million to 170 million or whatever, it's like, he's got lots of things he's never done before, but he's figuring yeah. it out. And like, that is, I think, like the beauty of what we do is that like, it is a communal act and you are surrounding yourself with people who can teach you and who you can ask questions to. And that's like, I think actually such a unifying way of making work, like where there isn't that kind of hierarchy, where it is more of like, let's all talk about what the answer to this question is together and how we can like achieve the vision that I set out to achieve, but I might not know how to execute just yet. Do you feel like when you're um, cause I have such imposter syndrome, but I also feel like the female director thing where I'm like, no one's going to take me seriously. Like I walk on almost with like a stiffness. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. like, I, I didn't notice it as much on Shiva that I noticed it on bottoms. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm like forcing this, but I, I, I found it a little trickier at the beginning to let my guard down and, and, and sort of be a little bit more trustworthy worthy of the people that that I hired and wanted to bring on. Um, do you find that bring, circling back to the acting of it all, like, do you find that you sort of just have to let go and, and trust your your AD and, and your DP and, and everyone around you a little bit more behind the monitor that's like watching, you know, visually what's going on when you're in the scene? Um, or you know, is that, is that just sort of, you always just like, you know, it's the same thing as when you did the craft or, you know, like it, it, it does, is it a little bit different? Yeah, it, it is different. I mean, I think like you, like prep is just so important to me, especially when I'm acting and directing. If I like, I sort of run it again, never played a sport, barely watched one, but it's what I imagine <laughs> they do in like football. Yeah. Where you're just like running the plays over and over again, like because so many things can go wrong in a day. I like want to know what the what the plan B and C's are, so that you know, especially like with Clip, we shot it in 36 days, so it was like also really a compact schedule. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, and and so I think like as much as I like always want, I really set out on Slip to be able to enjoy the process because I think on the craft, there was such a focus on making the days, which is so important, but it also can overtake your other focuses, which is just like the art you're trying to make. <laughs> and, um, and so with slip, I, that experience was very helpful because I could bring it into slip and go, I know how to make my days and I can trust myself a little more that I can lean into the joys of creation <laughs> and, and, sort of playing in the, you know, proverbial, proverbial sandbox a little bit more. But yeah, I, I, I do think it does take a lot of trust. Um, and it, it also takes like a lot of very specific communication leading up to production so that everyone's so clear on what the vision they're executing is. And I'm always like, we're not stopping unless something's going terribly awry. But like, we all know, like, the station that the train is going to and I'm not gonna I, I don't have time to run back to monitor or watch playback most of the time so it's like um just sort of trusting that but yeah it, it is an interesting thing like I think the imposter syndrome of it all is really interesting and slip was very interesting because I was I was directing 
uh, for a good portion of the of the shoot naked and you know so, so like, <laughs> i, I that in between takes you're like giving it like like notes and you're naked that's so funny. I mean, they throw a robe on me, but a lot of the, like, I do like to direct from, from within the scene, like not stop. So I, I'll, I'll pause someone and, and have them and give them a direction while we're acting. And in those scenes, like with Wit or with Ummer in the first episode, like he's, you know, going down on me and, and I was giving him direct direction. <laughs> like <laughs> I gave him the direction to, to be more generous while he was doing it. And he like turned like... <laughs> I mean, uh, he, he sort of perished in front of me, but that, but I think it is those, especially in sex scenes, they're so, uh, they're so sort of surreal and awkward. And, and sometimes it does take like some wild swing to like break the ice and make people feel more comfortable. Totally. I mean, it is just so impressive to see that because I feel like to put yourself in that position in a story about, you know, uh, orgasm loop wormhole uh, <laughs> like you know it's important like or you know maybe not necessary but like I can see how valuable it is to to be that vulnerable and and to to be naked in the show and I feel like the last time I really saw that a ton in terms of a director doing that and putting that putting themselves into it was with, with Lena Dunham and girls um, and it is such a it's crazy that that's still like radical you know like I wish it wasn't like so like whoa that's crazy but it is really impressive and vulnerable and i you know i guess i uh, i have i have so many questions still but i in terms <laughs> of that being a big icebreaker you mentioned also like going into this going into slip with a little bit more um of an intention to play craft happening in between band-aid and this like uh, I assume it seems so natural that I assume that there's more improv in Band-Aid or like kind of in that mumblecore way, even maybe, maybe not, maybe there's none at all. But did you find the room to play again in, in Slip? Like it feels so specific and so controlled and so, especially visually and, 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 you know, with the, with the music and, and with the sound design. Um, but did, was there still room for ad-libbing? I feel like your character's so dry and yeah. just all. So in the moment that it felt so natural, and I oh, guess just being, just being the connective <laughs> tissue between the two questions is being naked. Can you improv naked? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting. I, like I went from bandage the craft, and then in quarantine, made another film called How It Ends, which was oh um, right, which was yes. like more improv. And I think I think from the craft, I needed to do something like How It Ends, which was like diametrically opposed in terms of process yeah. that was like super micro, like three crew members um, and just like my friends and a lot of improv. And I think like flip then was the natural extension from that where there wasn't a ton of improv. I mean, wit wit definitely did some like amazing improvising, but I, I think I'm like, <laughs> I always a little nervous <laughs> to let things go entirely off the rails. Um, and I don't know if you're the same. I'm like curious because I, I feel the same way with your films where like my favorite films are ones that it seems like it's improvised, but it's mostly not because yeah. A, you know, the direction is so good and, and, and the script is so strong and that, and also I think that is like the mark of a great director, which I, I see in your films is like that there is a sense of spaciousness 
in in performance, but that it still feels like very muscular. And I, I when I hear mumblecore, I always like want to die because I, I really Sorry. didn't. I didn't like that movement. Uh, (laughs) No, but I just, I, I, you know, and I think a lot of great filmmakers came out of that movement, but I think when that was happening, I like the idea of making something that feels sort of navel gazy or self-indulgent or lacking in intention in terms of storytelling and storytelling is like, is something that I try as a filmmaker to, to really like hold myself uh, to a certain standard of and, Anyway, but I, I am really interested, like, how much improvisation do you encourage and, and are you, like, precious at all? Um, I, it, it's interesting, on both Shiva and Bottoms, I sort of went in with a cautiousness about improv. I think I, I was more open on Bottoms for sure. Mm-hmm. But on Shiva, actors are going to do what actors are going to do. And, and <laughs> Holly Draper would not like she wouldn't go off the rails within a scene she would come to me and be like i'm gonna say i'll i'm gonna say xyz thing after here and i'd be like okay and and usually wasn't a problem except for if we were running you know if we if we were needed to move quicker and if we were running low on time um versus rachel would just ad lib and i think that rachel come like in shiva i think that if she really felt in the moment and like it wasn't gonna like derail the scene I think that she would ad lib a bit, and then her and Molly Gordon, I, I wouldn't say completely improvised, but ad libbed quite a bit because I think their chemistry needed to be, you know, one in which they felt so natural with each other they could just talk over each other, and and it was less about you know the awkward questions that you know were being asked of, of them. They were they were just her, you know in the moment. On bottoms, I got advice from different directors that I would have assumed, you know, used improv or, or been in, in, you know, movies where there's improv. And, uh, two of those people were Elizabeth Banks, who, who produced Bottoms and, and Adam McKay. And they both kind of said a version of like, don't be careful. But, you know, Adam said he does like, he makes sure he makes sure he gets it within the first few takes, you know, or and then once he feels like he's really nailed it, then he lets the actors play. Yeah. Um, and Liz said something like, be really specific about the improv you want. You know, don't just be like, all right, go crazy. You know what I mean? But, but say like, oh, can you talk about this thing for a while and give, give examples of, of what you might do with whatever they're, you're trying to, you know, motivate in the scene. But Rachel and I had worked together so many times before and they're so funny and they have such a good chemistry that they, they would within the first take go off they weren't (laughs) they weren't off the rails in terms they always knew what the scene was and they were like on track but i think as a first-time studio director and a first-time studio comedy director i was like stop i was like what is going on because i was i was was getting nervous that i didn't know what the scene was because i was like what are they saying this is not i was looking at my sides being like what um (laughs) uh, like, like where is this in the script um and and I think then the other actors were like, can we improv this much? And I was like, guys, so it would be almost the opposite where we would, by the end of it, I'd be like, can we just get one as scripted? And they'd be like, okay, okay. They were just having fun, um, which is great. And that's all you can hope for is that your actors feel, totally. feel that free. But I definitely at the beginning was quite anxious about yeah. how. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like 
you know, the studio is watching being like, this is hilarious. And I was like, I'm just so afraid we're going to be in the edit and be like, what is going on? This <laughs> yeah. So, but it is an interesting reversal because I suppose as long as it doesn't eat up too much of your day, like to have someone improvise around the dialogue and find like all these different performance things in the improv and then move yeah. into di- written dialogue is sort of interesting. That's true. Yeah, because some of it, some of it wouldn't just be like, oh, we're going to have so much fun and improvise. I think some of it was like, this is their way, especially for comedians, like that was their way of finding their truth within the scene and finding their their art in the scene and how they get from point A to point B. Totally. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so much stuff. Um, so much to talk. I mean, we could talk uh, forever, uh-huh. I, I, and I have one thousand more questions. But um, do we? Do we? Maybe we each get one more. Okay. 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 Fine. Final cue. Okay. Final cue. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no pressure. That's what's going on. Not like a. So, how do you explore um, <laughs> um, female pleasure? Um, <laughs> I just like being punished for female for finally pursuing pleasure is like mm-hmm. one of the best lines and and slip. Maybe <laughs> this is my last question. Like how you know, circling back to the existentialist theme, like within your work, like, and in Band-Aid too, like I feel so many, so much of your, 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 so, so much of your work centers around female experience, but isn't, doesn't make it about the, the, the plot isn't revolving around the, the pain of being a woman. If they just like, as women, like in Band-Aid, like when she like says she hates her body and, you know, it's not like you, you you need to have a story about an eating disorder in order to like like tell to have a, a realistic female character that you can relate to. And and so I guess with Slip and and directing that, like uh how how did that sort of like in terms of everything that's encapsulated in that line, like <laughs> of like the sort of um self-hatred and the sort of denial of wanting to pursue pleasure as a woman, like how did that drive sort of I don't know, directing that story and, and, mm. and I don't know, crafting the, the, the arc for that character. <laughs> it's such a good question. I, I, I did watch a lot of um, like 90s erotica uh, mm. because I really wanted to make something that was erotic, like that wasn't showing sex, A, that was like fragmented or just for shock value. Like I wanted... <laughs> I wanted to really like turn people on and um, and that was an interesting challenge to do like through a female gaze, like, because mm-hmm. like you said, like, well, we just have that gaze, you know? So how much intentionality has to be behind directorial choices in subverting, you know, like problematic tropes. But I think that it did come quite naturally, but I was very aware of like, um, of that focus being on on the female orgasm like uh because I, I felt that of all the things i had seen that was missing it was really a spotlight on the on a woman's pleasure rather than sort of like an act a, a sexy act where they are object rather than subject and and what i could do directorially to um to sort of shift that and i think it was about really living on on me <laughs> um, as a subject in those moments and not shying away from that, which of course plays into lots of self-loathing because it, it really means that I have to be very exposed 
Um, but I feel similarly about your work and like, I think it's so like you tackle such big questions around not just women's experience, but like you, um, sort of satirize feminism while upholding it. And I think it's like the most brilliant thing that, <laughs> that, that I've seen, you know, in so many years, like the way that you do that both in Shiva Baby and, and Bottoms, like even just Shiva Baby, like it's a lens, like just that line, <laughs> like it's so, Doesn't make it's so genius, <laughs> you know, and that, and I think it is so brilliant to be able to make fun of, of it while promoting it and that you do it so, so beautifully, um, and so comedically. And, um, I guess, I guess my question is, yeah, like when you are like framing these stories as a director and like when you're talking to your actors about how they're portraying these like bold, brash women, like what are those conversations about getting that messaging out in a way that doesn't feel didactic or, um, or sort of cliched? Totally. I think that honestly, like it comes from, just knowing that your actors are down for the tone and for that criticism and for whatever it is that you're critiquing and, and, or, or that they relate to the experience of the characters. And then you just kind of go from there. And, and like we talked about earlier, just sort of stay truthful to like whatever's going on in the scene, you know, or whatever the character dealing with. And I think it's nice to be reminded once in a while, especially with bottoms, just because, we we take some risks here and there, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, it's nice to be reminded every once in a while that your actors are like down for it and 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 see the you know the you know critiques that you're doing and and are are there for it. Um, but like like you said, just like having the female gaze, you know, makes it so that these we 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 end up criticizing feminism or or or, or self love or mm -hmm. you know these things that so that feel so particular to our lives um in our worlds um without really even objectively like realizing it without being like i want to tell a story where we're making fun of this i think that like it's always after the fact where you know rachel's sort of saying this now where she's like i love that it's sort of unclear whether our movie is feminist or not you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. um, and also yeah and shiva like with her character like you know directing her in a way where like she really believes that she's like a feminist you know yeah. it's like, like girl boss feminism yeah. and it's like or whatever. um uh yeah so it always just like you know we talked about just goes back to the characters and and mm -hmm. and and like i think we just tried to like yeah with direct io and rachel in a way where like their only intention is to have sex with girls like they're yeah. they're in <laughs> They have no intention of doing a female solidarity situation. And yet every step of the way while we were making it, there was someone that would be like, oh, right, that's not what they're actually trying to do. Because that's just what you think from like a group of young women gathering is that they're like to, to, to honestly and, and, and sweetly be there with each other and, and, and do the good work of, of what, you know, whatever, which isn't a bad thing at all. But we were like, no, these characters are not doing they're saying they're doing that but they're not and so you know it, yeah like repeating myself but it just goes back to their intentions and, and you know making sure they they understand what they're doing well i think you're so brilliant and i'm so excited oh. that we got to talk and i hope we get to hang out irl 
I would love that. This was like the beginning of of, of many more. <laughs> yeah. Grateful that you you asked me to do this. I love I love talking to you, and I'm so glad Same. to have met you in this way. Me too. <laughs> Thanks, Letterbox. Yeah, thank you, Letterbox, <laughs> for making this happen. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Magic Hour episode of The Letterboxd Show. Our guests today were Zoe Lister-Jones and Emma Seligman. Emma's film Bottoms will be out in August. Zoe's series Slip is on the Roku channel right now. And Bo is Afraid is on VOD. Thanks to our crew, editorial producer Brian Formo, production coordinator Sophie Shin, and Matthew Buchanan for the artwork. Magic Hour is primarily a video series, so Matthew has more design elements on our YouTube if you wanted to check out any of this series on there. Uh, some some teases, we have Oscar-nominated Ruman Oslin, Skinner Rinks, Kyle Edward Ball, and other filmmakers in this series, and we plan on doing more, so check them out. Uh, so with that awareness, first thanks to AJ, Colt Papture for editing the video and Slim for cleaning up the audio and hopping into our virtual studio when a leaf blower started to approach like the score to Jaws. Dunnit, 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 dunnit. <laughs> Speaking of scores, we featured a bit of the Bo is Afraid score by Bobby Krillick too. Please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us keep this show going. We are dropping more special episodes like these in the feed. So send us a line at podcast at letterbox.com to let us know what specials you're enjoying. We love mail. The Letterbox Show is a Tape Deck production. This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast.